JSTV is now on the air. Hey, look! A Dungeons and Dragons ride! Wow! Neat! Give me a break. Barbarian, magician, thief, cavalier, and acrobat. Who was that? That was Venger, the force of evil. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. The game is called Dungeons and Dragons, D&D, &D, and it's become popular with children anywhere from grammar school on up. Not so with a lot of adults who think it's been connected to a number of suicides and murders. The idea of the game, which is played by highly imaginative and intelligent kids, is to assume the role of one of the characters. One game can go on for weeks or even months. The problem seems to be that some kids take it more seriously than others, take it a step further, playing a character who brings them the power in a game they couldn't possibly get in real life. About two months ago, a green eyeball was seen up in the sky. This eyeball was so big it blotted out the sun, okay? These young people are playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's an enormously complicated game in which each player chooses an imaginary character he'll assume. There are dwarfs, knights and thieves, gods and devils, magic and spells. It's a journey into a land of fantasy through complicated mazes where you use your wits to kill your enemies before they kill you, all in a quest for wealth and power. The Dungeon Master orchestrates and referees the game, creating scenarios both complicated and terrifying. There is no board, only the dice. I've never seen dice like these. All different sides. Six-sided. What's the what's point in that? What's They're for uh, different things. The four-sided is used mainly for damage from a dagger and dart, and magic users' hit points. Hit points is the damage that you can take before you die. There are those who are fearful that the game in the hands of vulnerable kids could do harm. And there is evidence that seems to support that view. Timothy Grice, 21, a shotgun suicide. The detective report noted, D&D &D became a reality. Irving Bink Pulling, 16, an avid D&D &D player, a suicide. Daniel and Stephen Irwin, 16 and 12, a murder and a suicide. The police said they were obsessed with the game. James Allen Kirby, 14 years old, charged with killing his junior high school principal and wounding three other people. Police are blaming D&D. &D. Jeffrey Jaklovich, 14. Stephen Loyacano, 16. Michael Dempsey, 17. And the list goes on. The company that makes the Dungeons and Dragons material is TSR Incorporated of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. They estimate there are three to four million kids who play the game. Last year, they grossed nearly $30 million with Dungeons and Dragons books and paraphernalia accounting for most of those sales. Gary Gygax owns the company and invented the game. Dieter Sturm is the head of public relations. There are a number of cases that have been documented where there is some connection between D&D. &D. I'm not saying that D&D &D is the cause of the death paraphernalia from the game has been found at the scene of the death. Notes, suicide notes referring to the game have been found. And all of these people, in a dozen or so cases, have been documented as avid D&D &D players. And you see no connection whatsoever? We see no connection for the fact that right now there's some three to four million players of the game uh, actively throughout the United States. Uh, right at this particular time, uh, 1985 teenage suicide is, is epidemic across the country with some 5,000 kids a year now taking their lives. Um, I think that uh, to say that uh, because that child uh, played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, who's to say that that child does not watch television, does not participate in, in high school sports or what per se? I have yet to see one bit of, of valid 
clinical evidence to show that this has been anything more than coincidental with a disturbed child. If you found 12 kids in murder-suicide with, with one connecting factor in each of them, wouldn't you question it? And that's all people would do. I would certainly do it in a scientific manner, and this is as unscientific as you can get. It's nothing but a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. But the families who have suffered the loss of a loved one would disagree. Pat and Lee Pulling and their 12-year-old daughter, Melissa. The Pullings came home one night three years ago and found Bink, their son, dead on the front lawn of their home in Montpelier, Virginia. He had shot himself through the heart with his father's handgun. Until that night, they had never heard of the game Dungeons and Dragons. Then they began looking through his things. We went into the kitchen, and there on the table were the, what we thought were just regular composition books with schoolwork in it, and much of the Dungeons and Dragons material, along with this curse he had received in the game that day that he died. The curse that was placed on Bink's D&D character began, Your soul is mine. I choose the time. In a letter that he left, Bink said he had been summoned to kill himself because he was evil. It was obvious through his writings that he felt he had assumed this character. But what I couldn't get into my mind was, is it possible? How could anybody do that? How could a 16-year-old that is smart, intelligent, why would they believe that they were something in a game? And why would they kill themselves because somebody else said to do it? Your son was well-adjusted? Always. He had never had psychological problems. He was healthy, even physically healthy. Well, we found that uh, uh, there's been numerous parents who say that uh, uh, the child's had no problems and such. Uh, very conclusively, we go back to details of uh, reports of classmates, of teachers, of friends and such, who very much uh, uh, kind of show that the youngster didn't fit in to school, uh, he had outside problems and generally problems with his family. We know that in the case of Dungeons and Dragons, upwards of three million kids play the game with no apparent serious consequence. That for them, it exercises the imagination and is just good fun. But there are those who are afraid that impressionable, vulnerable kids could be harmed by it. Dr. Thomas Rodecki is a psychiatrist who teaches at the University of Illinois Medical School and who is chairman of the National Coalition on Television Violence. He has been studying the game for several years and says there are 28 deaths related to Dungeons and Dragons in the last five years. In some of those it was clearly the decisive element, in other ones it was just a major element in the thinking of the people at the time they committed suicide or, or murder is not coincidence, not when you have careful documentation, you have careful notes, you have eyewitnesses. For instance, one case, the parents were actually saw their child summon uh, Dungeons and Dragons demons into his room before he killed himself. Another case, the kid had thought he had the ability to astral travel, coming from the D Dungeons and Dragons game, that he could leave his body and come back. And he had rigged it up just according to the rule book so he could do it. He was surrounded by his materials and put a bullet in his head so he could leave his body, and he's never come back. This is make-believe, and nobody's murdered, and there's no violence there. I mean, uh, to, to use an analogy with another game, who is bankrupted by losing a game of Monopoly? Nobody is, because the money is make-believe, the property is make-believe, and the bankruptcy is make-believe. It is not like Monopoly. There is no board. It is role-playing, which is typically used for behavior modification. If you are using behavior modification and you are doing violent roles and you're doing negative roles continuously, these children not only begin to have violent dreams or violent thoughts or negative depressing type things, they become very much a part of this character. You're role playing, you're rehearsing, you're developing the character hour after hour, day after day. We're really talking about intense, violent, uh, intense involvement in a very uh, serious form of violence. The important thing to remember is, if you're playing a character, let's say, for instance, you have an evil character, the rules tell you your evil character is allowed in the scope of the rules to murder people and to rape and plunder. If you're playing a good character, you're the defender of the people. You try to stop the people from raping and plundering. Yeah, but it's just your character that does it on the sheet of paper. When the game is over, the game does not tell you to go out and rape and plunder. But for some kids, it's not as simple as that. Melissa claimed that D&D had become more than just a game for her brother Bink. 
Someone it's threatened okay. you? Yes. My brother threatened to kill me one time. And we found her later that um, he had threatened to kill her if uh, she told uh, us that he was playing the game. She knew it, and she was actually scared for her life. After her son's death, Pat Pulling thoroughly investigated the game. She felt so strongly that it was responsible for her son's death that she formed a network of concerned people to warn others about the dangerous aspects of the game. Because of her involvement with D&D, Mrs. Pulling is often consulted by police departments around the country. Last November, in this deserted area outside the small town of Lafayette, Colorado, two brothers, Daniel and Stephen Irwin, 16 and 12 years old, were found dead. It was a murder-suicide. The story was widely covered by newspapers and television, as was the fact that the police said the deaths were caused by the boys' obsession with the game Dungeons and Dragons. Officer Greg Corey was assigned to the case when the boys were first reported missing. He learned that they used to come to this railroad trestle to play the game. Both boys were here when you came? Yes, the, uh, both boys were intertwined, their legs intertwined down in this area. The older boy uh, in this area here, the younger boy laying here with the 22 caliber gun next to his head. Um, where the gun was found was just to the right of his, his head area. As a police officer, as an investigator, did you see a connection between what happened here and the game Dungeons and Dragons? And the investigation showed that it was a focal point of the boys' lives. They were just enthralled in the game. And this comes from witnesses and the family and the brother that they were totally uh, obsessed with the game. In fact, would play it for 48 hours straight, um, sort of a marathon playing. Two weeks after the police chief announced that Dungeons and Dragons had been the cause of the boys' deaths, he issued a final press release with a different version of his earlier statements. TSR claimed they were vindicated, but Pat Pulling couldn't believe that the police changed their story. And I said, well, you can't change it. If it's the truth, you can't change it. I mean, children are dying, Ed. Children are dying out there, and people are not telling. Mrs. Pulling was convinced that it was the threat of a lawsuit by TSR rather than the evidence that made the police chief change his story. Did you threaten to sue the city? No, we did not threaten to sue. We did send them a letter, which we asked them in a very kind way uh, that uh, they please further investigation and take a look at exactly what all the evidence is and what the details are specifically before they start uh, calling the name of our product into it as being a blame or cause. But Mrs. Pulling had received a letter from the police chief in Lafayette in which he said that it was his fear of a lawsuit that made him back off. Yes, he sent me a letter. The letter to Mrs. Pulling from the chief of police said in part, I sincerely hope you will understand what has happened and will forgive me. I do not feel very good about myself and I feel that I have lost a part of my integrity. May I say that the city administrator and city attorney were very supportive of me, but cautious. My obligation to the city as a whole to protect them from serious financial litigation was predominant. I wept. I mean, I said, boy, you know, maybe somebody was going to really take and pay attention to this now and start doing some serious research and start stopping children from dying over something that they didn't have to die. I don't think anyone is suggesting that your intentions originally with mm -hmm. this game were anything but, but good. It was a game to Thank have you. some fun. Mm -hmm. But in the light of what some people would consider to be strong evidence, don't you really think that you have to rethink your position about the game and at least make known the potential for abuse of the game? Well, I, I, I again have to go back and say there's no link that, that this is, except perhaps in the, in the minds of those people who are looking desperately for any other cause than perhaps their own failure as a parent for their child's death. And further, the, uh, anything can be abused. Are we going to try to go around and say, uh, this chair could be used by a violent person to strike another person. Therefore, it should have a warning label on it saying, caution, this can be used to assault you with.
We would like an impartial uh, inquiry by the Consumer Product Safety Commission to actually look into these deaths, to call the police, call the detectives forward, bring forth the evidence, bring the parents in, look at this. Let's have an inquiry, an open public inquiry, and let's find out the truth. This Friday, the town of Putnam, Connecticut, will hold a town meeting to discuss whether Dungeons and Dragons should continue to be played in their schools. The suicide of a 13-year-old Putnam boy has once again fanned the controversy. Robbie, hi! <laughs> hi! Robbie! Oh, you look terrific. Yeah, you really do. Freelich! Aren't you dead? Didn't you die when you leaped into the pit? Hey, come on, Robbie, stop fooling around. It is you, Freelich, you have been restored to the living. Whoever did that is a great holy man. A greater holy man even than I. Oh, Glacier, nimble too. Perhaps you are preparing for yet another quest? Oh, Robbie. Glacier, has someone placed a spell of forgetfulness on you? I am Pardieu, the holy Robbie. man. I've had many strange encounters since last we met. A great dragon, a Gorville. This is a good place to stay. Warm. Very clean, the food is good and plentiful. Oh, Friedrich, I have something you may be interested in. I have an eternally renewing coin. Every night, I give it to my innkeeper's wife to pay for my lodging, and every morning when I awake, it is in my pouch again. Well, shall we not begin the quest? This lake is enchanted, and beyond there you see the great forest. Now, the innkeeper and his wife fear the forest, and they warn me to stay away. I feel there must be some evil force dwelling within it. If we could vanquish that evil, the innkeepers and his wife could live happily and in peace. Do you know of this forest? Yes, uh, I am the maze controller. There is a, a kingdom of the evil Verations, ruled by the wicked Ak Oga. Within this forest lies terrible danger, but also a wondrous treasure. Shall ye enter? Aye. Aye. Follow me, I know the way. I have seen the spirits dance in this lake in the evenings. They sing a song not unlike yours, really, not unlike the sprites. I haven't been beyond this ridge, but the paths to the forest are clearly marked. And so, we played the game again for one last time. It didn't matter that there were no maps or dice or no monsters. Pardieu saw the monsters. We did not. We saw nothing but the death of hope and the loss of our friend. And so we played the game until the sun began to set and all the monsters were dead. Good evening. Tonight we begin with a story about make-believe adventure and real-life violence. And what some critics fear is a connection between the two in a game called Dungeons and Dragons. Millions of children and teenagers now play Dungeons and Dragons. They are drawn to the adventure, fantasy, and suspense the game creates through mythical characters and complex situations. But increasingly, parents and psychiatrists are warning that the game is taking some children too far into the realm of dark and violent fantasy. They wonder whether for some children, Dungeons and Dragons becomes more than just a game. Carol Jerome prepared this report. Okay, you enter a very small room and there's a large black coffin right in the center. The gate's shut behind you, slamming. It looks like a few boys around a table, but in their minds, they're fantastical characters in another world, a darker world. Ole is a cavalier. Erwin is a paladin. Dennis is a ranger. Mikey is an illusionist. And Bill is a magic user. Nicholas is a fighter, and his little brother, Matthew, is a thief. 
In today's adventure, Mike the Dungeon Master leads them to a castle where they are attacked by wolves in the woods. What are you guys going to do? I'm going to draw my sword and use my second attack instead okay. of attacking. What do you do? Together, they meet each challenge set by the Dungeon Master according to their character, which can be good or evil. They have magic weapons and spells to use to battle men and half-humans and monsters. And each has an elaborate scoring sheet for his character, with points for wisdom and strength and the like. A throw of these special dice decide the outcome of battles in an intricate scoring system. Okay, Nothing guys, is acted out. The real action is in the okay. mind. Now you guys are entering the castle. So you have basically the doors are open to the castle. Sort of somebody taunting your mind saying, come and get me. Suddenly five zombies come up grabbing your leg. What are you going to do? I like my head and my sword plus three. Okay, roll the dice. Okay, you do sufficient damage and you cut off its arm, you dismember it. But you notice that the arm that you cut off is still hanging onto your leg. It's not as simple as old-fashioned cowboys and Indians. The goal here is to survive okay. each adventure and gain points for killing enemy humans and monsters and gather treasure along the way. But this medieval fantasy world is so detailed, so real, that some say it has caused kids to kill in the real world. Since these games are so violence-oriented, you do not just play at the game, you become the game. You are the game. Pat Pulling's son, Bink, shot himself in the heart three years ago, hours after a suicide curse was put on his character as he played D&D, as the game is called. Notes he left linked his suicide to the game. Pat Pulling formed a group called BAD, bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Along with the National Coalition of Television Violence in the States, BAD documents 28 cases of juvenile murder and suicide they claim are linked to D&D. They say it's the general violence and playing with evil characters, suicide curses and pretend human sacrifice in the game that trigger the tragedies. Ironically, the publicity about one of these cases in 1979 made sales skyrocket. It has been linked in suicide notes, police reports and coroner's reports. There have been recently a couple of accidental killings, one in particular uh, related to the game where the boy thought he was a god, therefore he begged his brother to shoot him to prove that he was deified, and in fact, of course, the boy died. I feel they're overreacting a lot. Like, I don't think that this game promotes death or anything. Not the way we play it, anyway. You know, I can tell the difference between reality and fantasy. Just about everyone I play with can. Sure, there's bloodshed and everything, but I think it's better to shed it in the game than out in real life. My adopted daughter, the fair Irina, has been these past nights bitten by a creature. Called the game's public relations man says the children in the murders and suicides, including Bink Pulling, had other emotional problems already, and notes other elements like the presence of guns in the home. There has been zero deaths as the cause of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, the game is played by some three to four to almost five million people now uh, in Canada, in the United States, uh, throughout the world. In fact, 15 other countries. And uh, the game is built around cooperation. Started in 1973 on a $1,000 loan, D&D now earns $30 million a year for its Wisconsin manufacturer, TSR, with spin-offs like this television cartoon series. There is no escape from the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Few girls play it, it's mainly teenage boys, and they can spend hundreds of dollars on it in stores like Rigby's in Toronto on monthly magazines, pocketbooks, guidebooks to over 40 different fantasy adventures and miniature figurines. And if they like, there are D&D video games too. At least three government studies in the States confirm a cause and effect relationship between consumption of violent entertainment and increased aggression. Police are also concerned about D&D, but they say they cannot make a conclusive judgment about its role in many of the murders and suicides. One of the most perplexing cases happened here in St. Louis, Missouri. Last April, an 18-year-old art student named Mary Towie was killed by two friends, Ron Adcox and Darren Molitor. All three played Dungeons and Dragons together, Darren intensively, up to 16 hours a day, sometimes sitting up all night with his character sheets. 
In his confession to the FBI, Darren included his alias, Demon Sammy Sager, his D&D fighter assassin name. Darren told police they were fooling around drinking at Mary's house while her parents were away, getting ready for a Friday 13th party, and tied her up to mess with her mind, then put a knotted elastic bandage around her throat and went upstairs to have a couple of beers. When they checked again, Mary was dead, the blood to her brain cut off by the bandage. Darren and Ron then stole valuables from the house, dumped Mary's body in this woods and fled in her car. When they were caught, they were each wearing one of her earrings. The point is, is Darren Molitor a cold-blooded killer, or did Demon Sammy Sager take over or change him? Darren's trial was first. The defense lawyer maintains that the game was a major factor in determining Darren's behavior, and he is asking for the lesser charge of manslaughter. The prosecution holds that the game has nothing to do with Darren's actions and is asking for the death penalty. Pat Pulling was here to testify. She and a defense psychiatrist say there are elements here that echo D&D patterns. First, the idea itself that tying someone up is a game. The Friday 13th motif, part of the superstitious magic of D&D. The messing with her mind, the robbery like plunder, the running for survival, the earrings like treasure. But no testimony about the game, including Pat Pullings, was allowed by the judge. And Darren's lawyer, Lee Patton, was angry at that, saying the court preferred an open and shut case. In the absence of Dungeons and Dragons, in the absence of the desensitization to violence, I think he probably would have called the police or taking some, taking some other action rather than robbing and running. Darren told Lee Patton, demon has never died, and Patton is not sure just what that means. Darren's parents don't know much about it, but they feel the game is partly to blame, and they say Darren was worried that being demon might have affected him. And he'd sign everything, his papers, they, while he was going to school, as demon Molitor. The prosecution is denying the testimony on the game. I heard. Do you think that's important that it be admitted? Yes, yes I do. I, can, I feel it'll turn the whole thing around. On Darren's behalf. The victim's parents feel differently. Our own thoughts have always been that, uh, that uh, Dungeons and Dragons were, was totally irrelevant to the entire case, that this was a case strictly of, of robbery and, and homicide and, and nothing else. These were two people who wanted money in a car and were willing to do just about anything to get it, and did. These police and FBI agents were struck by how coldly Darren talks about the killing, and tend to believe he is just plain guilty. The judge agreed and ruled that Dungeons and Dragons had nothing to do with the death of Mary Towie. The jury found Darren Molitor, alias Demon Sammy Sager, guilty of first-degree murder, a life sentence, but no death penalty. As you near the castle, two of the stone gargoyles come from above and swoop down trying to attack you. The so, crucial point uh, is, can a game create psychosis, or is someone like Darren Molitor an accident waiting to happen, with or without the game? Supporters of D&D suggest it might even keep psychosis under control, providing an outlet. Can I give him a proper burial? But the killings and suicides are extreme cases of the issue. Matthew here cried for days when his character died, and Bill's mother says at one point he got too involved. I became concerned, and I spoke to the dungeon master about his behavior in the club. And he did admit that my son seemed to be becoming the character, taking on characteristics of his character. And uh, I felt the same way, and I asked that he not go to the game for a while, and he agreed. Here in Orangeville, another case raised the same questions. A 14-year-old boy, who cannot be named because he is a juvenile, strangled two young friends in this schoolyard. It was brought out in this Orangeville courtroom that the young defendant was deeply involved in playing Dungeons and Dragons and was, in fact, a dungeon master. But his preoccupation with the game was not considered a determining factor in forming his behavior, only typical of it. He was judged to have an obsessive-compulsive mental disorder and was acquitted by reason of legal insanity. The boy will be under care in a psychiatric institution for as long as necessary.
Meanwhile, the game goes on. D&D has been banned in some Canadian schools, but is used by others like this one in programs for gifted children. Some teachers feel this role-playing is valuable social interaction and say it even improves reading and mathematics skills and knowledge of mythology and history. Much depends on the dungeon master, the group leader who controls the scenario, putting in as much or as little blood and gore as he likes. Here, Denny is the dungeon master. Well, it gives you a great sense of control and power over other people because, like, you can determine what happens to the characters. And it's really kind of neat, the feeling of power you get from it. Does the game encourage or even create Denny's love of power, or is it a healthy outlet for it? In the manual itself, you warn the kids not to get their characters mixed up with themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not a warning. All it is a saying is that you understand this is a game, and you're playing a character, and that's it. Pat Pulling is suing TSR and the teachers who conducted the game in her son's school for $10 million. She wants research into the D&D phenomenon. We would like to see these violent games, such as Dungeons and Dragons, uh, taken out of toy stores and not pushed in school systems and remain for the adult population. Well, I think the parents should get into the game to see how it is, and then they can start judging if, they're, if they should let their child play or not. I only play here, and when I leave the store, I leave the game in the store. I go out and into life. You guys bury the body properly. Perhaps this is the crux of the matter, how we deal with the undeniable love of violence in our species. D&D has taken it a step beyond even TV and movies and books into the inner mind. Millions enjoy that voyage, but we don't really know how many others find unsuspected dragons in their psychic dungeons. How then do we deal with our demons? As you're walking over the drawbridge, the old rotten wood gives way beneath your feet and you fall 1,500 meters down. So you have died. I'm sorry, but that's life. For the journal, this is Carol Jerome. Hello, gentle Toronto. viewers. Sorry to hit you with the laser screwdriver right away, but there seems to be a slight misunderstanding in how we operate around here. You see, I've stated previously on internet forums, on our question and answer periods, and on some of our viewer mail episodes that I don't like to do negative reviews. The reason for this is several fold. As I've mentioned earlier, these works are people's children. They put a lot of work into them and I don't see the point in tearing them apart. I love my hobby. I like the idea of being a role-playing evangelist and therefore just telling people what's there, what's interesting, and why you should be looking into the hobby more than you may be. And I consider myself to be a fairly nice guy. Apparently, that's not good enough for some of you. You want blood on the water. You want to see just how badly I can tear into something. You want to see just what I think a bad game is. All right, fine. But to go with the old adage, be very careful what you wish for. So, for today's review, something not so good. Set this to repair. Welcome back, gentle viewers. Today's review, something I said I wasn't going to do because of the no bad review policy, but a lot of people have requested it, and I feel like it does need to be reviewed because it is the 8,000-pound gorilla in the corner that people want to know about. Ladies and gentlemen, Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. Subtitled, no, it's really not that good. Small history with me and Dungeons & Dragons. I go way back Dungeons & Dragons. 30 years this year I have been role-playing, and it all started back with D&D and the Caves of Chaos, as I've mentioned earlier. D&D 3rd was met with me with mixed results. I liked some of what they did. I didn't like some of what they did. But at the end of the day, I could recognize the damned thing as Dungeons & Dragons. 3.5 cleaned it up in some ways, still made it fairly complicated, but... I liked it because I could recognize the damned thing as Dungeons & Dragons. Enter 
4th edition. Now, I'll say this for Wizards. They gave you plenty of warning 4th edition was coming with monthly updates and weekly previews and all the wonderful things they were going to do with 4th edition that I read through, looked at, scratched my head and went, Hey, this is 4th edition? This is D&D? Really? But I kept an open mind. And then on the day of the release, I went to my favorite bookstore, grabbed all three books, sat down, had a cup of coffee, started flipping through them. And at the end of the day, my opinion was, Hey, this is Dungeons and Dragons? Really? The main complaint I have with D&D 4th is that it is almost, almost unrecognizable from its predecessors. Sure, some of the same tropes are there. You still use a 20-sided die. Congratulations. That's not too confusing. There are still some of the standard races. Humans, really, humans are still there. Yay! Elves, although elves have now been split into two different races, the elves and the Eladrin, if I'm beginning to pronounce it correctly, which is, in essence, really driving home the difference between the wood elf and the high elf. Okay, you might argue that harkens back to Tolkien a little bit more, but still, it does help slightly in that you no longer have 15,000 sub-races of elf you have to trip over yet. Yes, Wizards of the Coast, I'm watching you. Then you have dwarves. There's no subdivision to dwarves. They're still just dwarves. Gnomes, completely gone. All right, let's face it. Everyone out there who ever played a gnome, raise your hand. One, two, oh, you're just scratching? Okay, sorry, sorry. So, really, gnomes are gone. Halflings are still there. They've redesigned how everyone looks. One of the few good things I can say about these books is they are very pretty. They are very well done. The art is nice, and there are very few examples of the chainmail bikini left anymore. Is this good? Is this bad? I'll leave that for you to decide. There is something slightly reminiscent for me about the Errol Otis artwork and the gravity-defying breasts and the chainmail bikinis, but okay, I can live with that. Other races they've included... Tieflings are now an official D&D race. Now, I never cared for tieflings, the, the offspring, the scion, if you will, of humans and something from the infernal planes. But they're there because people like them. My question is, why not the equivalent from the good planes? Why not the Ayasmar? Why not bring those in as well? What? Those are probably coming out in other books? Milking it for more money? The hell you say. Now, in fairness... This isn't something that Wizards is alone in doing. And now they've introduced the Dragonkin. Ladies and gentlemen, I've seen a lot of draconic creatures introduced for some reason in recent years into my fantasy and sci-fi games. They all have them. Let's count them off, shall we? Yes, let's. Now D&D 4th has made them completely official, and again, the 8,000-pound gorilla sitting in the corner of the room means everyone has to jump on the bandwagon. But wait, there's more. There's Dragonkin and Sundered Skies, which is my precious, precious Savage Worlds games. Okay, it's there. How about Slipstream? Well, sci-fi games have had dragon people running around for years. Why not add more to the list? Personally, I don't like the scaly bastards. I've never really felt the need for them, hearkening all the way back to Dragonlance when you had the Draconians. So the classes are still kind of there, but now we have Warlocks and Wizards. Sounds like its own game, doesn't it? Warlocks and Wizards. Warlocks deriving their power from another source than Wizards do. Which brings me to one of the key features of what makes D&D 4th different. The different classes draw their powers, if you will, their shticks, their um, class abilities from different sources. For example, there's Arcane, which powers the Warlocks and the Wizards. There's Martial, which powers the Rangers, the Thieves, and the Fighters. And then there is Divine, which powers the Paladins and the Priests. There's also a, a War Leader, which are essentially the commanders of a battlefield. They've redefined all of the standard tactics now. It's now been really boiled down. Yes, rangers have usually stood back and shot arrows at people. There have been the occasional Drizzt Darudin knockoff who has to run in with two swords and kill everything. But now, it assumes that everyone is going to fall into one general class, which means if you play a wizard, your job now is no longer really to level the playing field with fireball after fireball. It's to command the playing field, to help your warriors out to do something, to help your thieves to sneak around and strike and run, to help your rangers shoot their arrows better. If you play a warrior, your job is to run in and hit things. The problem is it pigeonholes you a lot, in my opinion. 
That's the main theme of fourth that I don't like, is the pigeonholing. Is the fact that it assumes that at levels 1 to 10, you're exploring dungeons. But I want to go help a king. Well, why don't you stay in the dungeon? That's how you're going to help the king. Levels 11 to 20, you're out making a name for yourself in the world. Levels 20 to 30, you're off making a name for yourself in the multiverse. What if you want to go into the multiverse at level 7? Well, you know, you really shouldn't do that. You might get stepped on by Asmodeus. So there's a lot of pigeonholing and assuming you're going to do things a certain way. But there are books that fix this. What? Wizard publishing more books to get your money? The hell you say. Again, Wizards isn't alone in this. So we have the standard three core books that, to their credit, were released all at the same time this year, this time, as opposed to one every month for three months, which really staggered it out poorly with the third edition launch, in my opinion, anyway. The other main thing that it introduces in this is that all classes now have a class ability. That is essentially, they said, you know, the fighters really get hosed because the wizards have all these different opportunities, and the fighter does, I attack. So... The fighter class now has several different combat maneuvers that are basically spells with the serial number filed off. Okay, that really doesn't churn my stomach that much, except you're limited in which ones you can do and when. And then you have the wonderful addition of this little thing called skill challenges, which I read once, and then I read again, and then I realized, hey, my eyes are hemorrhaging. So you know what? We're going to save this for part two of this review. Yes, our first two-part review. Why? It's the 8,000-pound gorilla sitting in the corner of the room. So we'll see you next week for part two of D&D 4th Edition. Goodbye, gentle viewers. Remember, you asked for it. I do not think that many parents are aware of what's inside the game. In fact, in my presentation, I show many pictures from the inside of the books just to show the images of this game. I yes. mean, the gruesomeness of this game and the occult link to it. Well, I know that when uh, I did my message, and this has happened, I have letter after letter where people took the pieces. Now, there's sixes involved in the pieces of the game, but they yes. take the pieces of the game, they would throw them in the incinerator or the fireplace, and screams would come out because there seemed to be some kind of spiritual forces inhabiting those pieces, and children would drop out of life. They didn't want to study anymore. Uh, what, what are the pieces, for instance? Well, this game affects the most intelligent of our children. And the pieces include white witches, wizards, necromancers, the, the clerics, that type of thing. It includes evil wizards. It's a white versus black witchcraft. The good versus evil is white versus black witchcraft. And Anton LaVey, the writer of the Satanist Bible, says there is no such thing as white witchcraft. Well, being and, a Satan worshiper, he should know. Yeah, he should. Open your mind to Dungeons & Dragons computer game from Mattel Electronics. It will lead your imagination down a dungeon labyrinth wherein lies the dragon's treasure. Steal his treasure, but make no false moves. For in Dungeons and Dragons, a dead end is a dead end. Dungeons and Dragons from Mattel Electronics. Dungeons and Dragons. Some claim it's a simple, harmless game. Yet suicides, murders, and robberies have been linked to this game. Pat Pulling explains what happened to her son, a victim of Dungeons & Dragons. He died because he became too involved with the game Dungeons & Dragons. He, his personality became one with the character that he was living at the time in the game. And uh, he took his life because of the scenario he was playing at the time he died. Dungeons and Dragons emphasizes black and white witchcraft. It creates a world of fear and death. Dr. Gary North says Dungeons and Dragons is the most effectively, most magnificently packaged, most profitably marketed, the most thoroughly researched introduction to the occult in man's recorded history. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. You're playing the most phenomenal game ever created. Your skin grows cold from your first glimpse of the enormous beast. It's a product of your imagination. Survival depends on a quick, decisive move. Your choices are limited. Stand and fight, or run. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. Win the treasure. TSR Hobbies. Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I decided to take and everybody has requested. They wanted to see what was inside this box. So why don't we do that? Why don't we take a look and see what's under the hood here?
I think it'll be kind of fun. I'm going to try to do this on a surface that you guys can kind of pick up everything. You see the box is pretty old. 1980, uh, I think this is 1980 or 77, but pretty much. But as you can see in mint condition, oh, 1980 it says. Oh, there we go. It is the Dungeon Module B2 Keep on the Borderlands by Gary Ganax. God rest his soul. Let's take a look at it. I don't want to ruin it. We might try to do something with it. Uh, we have all that dungeon. It'd be kind of fun, but boy, oh boy. In great shape, too. Oops. And it's for characters one through three. Very nicely put together. Oh, clerics versus undead table. Oh, and here's uh, the... Oh, well, we could do that. I think that'd be fun. We could probably put it out on... I do have a bunch of square paper. That would be kind of fun to do. Here's all the cost of the weapons and stuff. Well, we kind of want to keep this kind of secret. Here's a little few more maps. Maybe we'll have Janice make a whole bunch of creatures. And it comes, and it's very intact. And very nicely still intact is the actual screen itself and a dungeon. Oh, this is nice. So there's a couple entry points. And, uh, wow, look at this cave mouth and all that other cool stuff really some neat stuff that we can kind of take a look at wow now here you can use chits instead of uh, using dice but we don't come on we want to use dice I don't want to use these chits really but it, they're in great shape and intact how about that so you would put these in a bag, shake them up, and pull them out one at a time. That's kind of cool. They're trying to take a little bit of the randomness out of it. But it's all intact. All has never been played with. Special instruction module. Oh, wow. Introductory module. Very, very cool. Notes for the Dungeon Master. Welcome to the Land of Imagination. If you plan to play in this module and participate in front, stop reading. The information, the rest of the module is for the Dungeon Master or the DM, so that he or she may guide you and other players through a thrilling adventure. Knowing too much about the contents of this game will spoil many surprises and excitement of the game. Well, there you go. If many of the copies of this module are available to the players, you may wish to alter the sections. Oh, there you go. Alright. Alright. Basic instruction book for Dungeons and Dragons has been given has given you the information necessary to understand DD and start play. This module is another tool. Oh well, this is pretty cool. Alright. So a nice starter starter set for this. Pretty cool. Basic set with introductory module. How about that? Very, very, very cool. Well, there you go. There you have it. I hope this helps in uh, uh, showing it off a bit. Hello, this is Wampire. Uh, for tonight, I have something a little different. Um, instead of a movie review, a toy review, or even a comic book review, I'm here to do a game book review. Um, this one is very, very special for me. Um, it, it holds a very special place in my heart because uh, back uh, when I was in grade school, um, I moved to Japan. And when I did, it's, um, it's kind of interesting because when I was living in Japan, I missed everything that was American. And then when I was living in America, I missed everything that was Japanese. So. You know, it's funny how that works, you know. Um, so I remember in grade school when I was over there in Japan and I was missing uh, things from America, um, there was an international book fair going on. And my mom was like, you know, you don't want to forget your English. Go go get a book. Go buy a book. And uh, so I was like, okay. So, you know, I was looking and, and this looked interesting. 
so this was one of the books that I got. Um, this one is called uh, Return to Brookmere. It's by Rose Estes. And uh, it's a Dungeons and Dragons uh, endless quest book. So it's basically a choose your own adventure type book. And uh, so, so basically, uh, as you're reading it, you're going to have to make some decisions. And it says like, if you want to do this, then go to this page. If you want to do that, then go to this other page. You know, it's one of those. Now, there are other game books that require dice and, and pencil and paper, but this is not one of them. Um, overall, I kind of prefer the ones that don't use dice and um, pencil and paper. Uh, I just like to read that way. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times the books that are uh, just regular choose-your-own-adventure books like that, those kinds of books are usually too kiddie sometimes. And this one, it kind of felt like compared to the standard choose-your-own-adventure books that it's it's a little bit for older age, especially maybe because of the theme Dungeons and Dragons. It, it felt, you know, even now, I've read this many, many times, but reading it now, it, it just, it worked very, very well for me. I, I It almost felt like watching a movie with this kind of subject, and it was really, really cool. It, it really felt like that. And tonight is very special because this is the first time I actually beat it. Um, I, like I said, I've read it many, many times and I've died many, 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 many times. But And it's not, I don't think it's a hard one. But this was the first time where everything just went right and, and I beat it. And so, you know, I'm here to just tell you uh, my adventure real quick. So, first of all, the book starts off with a um, description of you, that you're an elven fighter. Your name is Brian. Your father was the king, and uh, your castle that you all lived in, basically, it just gets completely overrun with goblins, orcs, and gnolls, and they take it over. It, it just happened so quickly. They just came from the north, and they, they just completely took over your kingdom, your castle. And uh, it's kind of weird, because if your father's the king, you would think that you're the prince, but nowhere in this book do they refer to you as prince, and it would be weird for the dad to send you back to the castle when knowing that it's dangerous if you are the prince. So I'm thinking what it is, is that um, maybe you have other brothers that are, you know, in line for the throne and you're just one of many. And here it, it says that you're an elven fighter. So your mission is you're leading like four other elven fighters and you're supposed to go scout this place and report back to your father what has become of of your your former family castle. So that that's the whole uh, mission that you're on. Um, so then the next part it goes into like what you're wearing. With the main idea here is chainmail. And as a kid, I mean, maybe it was like the second time I've ever even heard of chainmail. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like the first time I had heard it from. Uh, older friends that were just getting into Dungeons and Dragons and they were telling me all about it and describing to me all the minifigures and you know stuff like that and and they tried to even get me to play it but it was just way I was too young and I rolled the dice and I ended up being like a like a I don't know if I was a hobgoblin no I think I was a hobbit or something and I was like that's not cool I don't want to be that I want to be like Conan but um so anyway uh <laughs> Like I said, this brings back a whole lot of memories. Um, and then the next thing they do is they talk about you have this magical amulet, which is it's called Mimulus, and it's a dragon's head, and you wear it like it's a necklace basically, and it talks to you. So it, it, it's really, really cool in that sense, and it gives you advice and stuff like that. So anyway, um, the next part is you, you're on with your adventure, so you're leading the, the four other uh, elven fighters, and you get to your castle and sadly like it's completely in ruins the only thing left is just basically like this tower and there's nothing it's like completely leveled and all you see is like this big old hole in the ground where basically that leads to the underground uh, dungeons and stuff so you're going down the stairs going into the dungeon area and the stairs break off once that happens um, you fall like a huge amount and, and you barely survive that. 
and now you're kind of like on your own. Uh, this has happened obviously many, many times as, I, as I've read this before, but it was the first time where I discovered it was like what happened to the other four uh, Elven fighters that were with me. Well, basically in this, this time, for the first time, I found out that they were all crushed, that they all died. Maybe it's not the first time. I just didn't remember it, but yeah, they're all crushed, unfortunately. So, you know, you pretty much have to go solo. It's just you and a necklace. So then, um, all right, so the first thing that I encountered was the door of nothingness. So like every time you read this, you know, the order of things or the things that you encounter can change. And uh, so the door of nothingness, basically there's a strange door and it's like, do you want to go through it or not? And I decided not to go through it because the necklace is saying it just has a bad, bad feeling about it. So I listened to the necklace. But, you know, because this is those choose your own adventure books, you could actually go check out the other choice to see what it was. So even though I wasn't going to do it, do that, I was like, let me just see what it was just so I get a complete story for the review. And uh, basically, if you go through the door of nothingness, you turn into nothing. It's It just it liquidates you or it kills you, you know. So anyway, um, the second thing I encountered was Mazas and Orobius. Mazas is basically, he's kind of like a jester. He can turn invisible, but he's a, like, like a centaur type creature. But he's like a wacky, crazy guy. And he's a servant of Orobius, who is a great wizard. He was a wizard that served your dad, and the king. And um, basically through this, you find out that Orobius is dead. And the reason why he died is because he's a great illusionist. And the last illusion that he casted was basically when all these monsters invaded your castle, he created an illusion to kind of like slow them down so that all the elves could like, they had time to like leave, to pack up their stuff and take off. So he did that for them and then it just cost too much of his power and he died. So it was kind of interesting that you get that kind of historical for this story, this this uh, background there about the war. All right, so the, the third one, is uh, there? you have to dress up as a goblin and you sneak around. So that's kind of very Star Wars-esque in uh, Episode 4 where uh, Han and Luke are dressed up as stormtroopers in the Death Star. So it basically feels like that. It's cool. And uh, so you have to get past this. Uh, you're dressed up as a goblin and you have to get past this dumb orc. And then uh, the next thing is, uh, this is an integral part to the story, is you go to a meeting and at this meeting where all these monsters, like the goblins, orcs, and gnolls, they're all there. And basically your your dad's throne room is there. And right there is um, uh, like this rat shows up, sits on the throne room. And that's like, you know, it's, it feels like an insult to you. And then that rat transforms into this humanoid giant rat monster guy. So it's a were-rat. And the dude is like super buff. He's like six foot tall. He's super muscular. And he has a rat face and he has claws. And, you know, it's just a terrifying sight. Um, so that's the leader of the bad guys. So for the first time, you kind of know like, oh, that's the leader. That's what we're up against. And in this meeting, this guy talks about like some unknown force that is attacking them. And he's like, if you see anything out of the unusual, kill it. That's, that's what he tells his men. So now it's kind of extra dangerous for you because now they're like on the hunt for anything unusual and you're freaking out. But at the same time, they're like really scared of this thing and you're going, what could it be? And I was like, what what is this? And all the other times I've read it, I've never encountered it. So I was like, "What? It, I, that's kind of a bummer that, that you never encounter it. And I was thinking, now that I was reading it again, I was like, is it a dragon? What what the heck is it? It's like killing them off. It can go through walls and it's freaking them out. Um, well, it's cool because finally for the first time I found out what it was. So next, um, after the meeting, um, you, you, uh, you find out that the identity behind this creature that they're so terrified of is it was your actual pet. You had a pet weasel. And it's a giant weasel. It grows really, really large. And you had it when it was still young. But now it's like enormous, enormous. It's, it's I don't know, it's like 10 feet tall, 15 feet long. I don't know. But it's huge. It's a giant weasel. And it's your pet weasel. So it remembers you. 
and you talk to it because you you're an elf and you speak animal language. And that concludes our broadcasting day. Till next time. Watch JSTV as it watches you.